My name's Kathy, and um, I came to Freedom Session because I, had, I was in a great deal of pain, emotional pain. What had happened is that I, I was falsely accused of something, and then on top of it, the person who had accused me um, judged me as being cold-hearted. But I understood why um, the person said that, because when they were talking to me, they were crying. And I was just very stoic and just was staring at them, but I, I was in shock. And she kept, she was telling me, you're cold, you look at me, you're look at, you know, you're, you're not even um, upset about what I'm saying. And I was sitting there talking to myself saying, what the heck's wrong with me? Because I'm not feeling anything and I'm a very compassionate person. And so that's when I decided I need help. And, and what happens to me is I just shut down and, and I'm very stoic and doesn't matter what's going on, I'm able to manage through it. And so what I realized through Freedom Session that that had actually come from child molestation um, starting at the age of six. While I was being abused, I would say to myself, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. I then would go home and I would self-medicate with food. Well, when I, I learned to, if I just could shut down my emotions, I wouldn't feel any pain. I didn't even know who I was when I came to Freedom Session. I thought I was this person who had um, great composure, great self-control, only to find out, no, I just developed a, a, a really strong ability to numb my feelings. I found a safe place. I was able to share everything. I went through every, um, all the things that I needed to handle as far as the child molestation. I am not afraid of feeling pain anymore. Um, so it, it's wonderful. Um, it's, a, it's one of those emotions that God gave us, you know, to release the things that happened to us. I had this incredible experience just this last week. Uh, we went on a road trip to my hometown. And so we drove around my old neighborhood and it was amazing. I pointed out to my husband, I went, see that house over there? That's where I was molested. And that's the, that I was molested over there too. But when I said it, I felt an incredible peace and a deep forgiveness for those people. It was amazing. I have no, um, no animosity, no, no unforgiveness for any of these people. And I am so grateful. Wow, there is power in that story um, because things that are not okay, sometimes we can work through those things and they don't hold us back any longer. And when I heard Kathy share that story uh, live at the Freedom Session graduation, man, I was moved. I was like, men are supposed to be protectors. Amen? And, um, and so if you're a young man, I want to tell you for the next 60 years, however long you get to live, you get to be a protector in our society. And that's what the Bible's called you to be. And for all of us, there are things in our lives where we just want to go numb. We just want to go numb because we don't want to feel it, right? We don't want to feel that pain. And, and for her to get to that place and to be part of such a dynamic program that helps you work through those feelings, work through those fears, those, those pains, those angers, and get to a place where you're not just numb, um, but you've received healing and freedom, 
is really remarkable. So I think there's one more week to sign up for Freedom Session. If you want to do that, there's so many areas of all of our lives that we need to find healing in. Okay, before I forget, and by the way, welcome to everybody online, everybody who's everywhere uh, today. We're going to be preaching from the Bible. I'm going to encourage you to hold up a, a Bible, a real Bible. How many have a real Bible? How many have a phone? Secondary, second class, the phone is second class, but we'll take that, all right? I am old-fashioned. This is, this is what I found out. I mean, I like to write a check for the offering. Like, that puts you in the way old-fashioned crowd in today's world, right? And um, I don't want the phone for a Bible. I want this Bible. Th- this summer, I just, I'm going to admit it, I began to appreciate flowers and birds. I am getting old. What's happening to me right now? And just, I was like, oh my gosh, I was interested in what kind of bird that was. Lord, I'm getting old, you know? No offense to all the bird lovers out there, but just seems to happen. All right, so this last Wednesday night was a day of prayer. It was an evening of prayer. And there was, there was posters around the walls and things you could step on and you could pray for certain needs and, and people and groups, and it was powerful. But I gotta tell you this story. Because as I was praying here, I was praying before our life group, I walked over to this wall. And listen, I'm used to only being able to be like in the camera angle, so I'm a little nervous out here. Everybody on, online, hope you can still see me. And so I, I literally I came over to this wall. We were praying for things, and you just stand on a piece of paper and pray for it. And there was a poster board on this wall. This last Wednesday night, and I walked over to it, and it said spiritual awakening, and I put my hands on it. And when I put my hands on it, it was almost like electricity just began to shoot through me. And I put my hands on that wall and and tears came to my eyes and I began to pray for spiritual awakening and spiritual uh, unity in our country. And I put my head on on this wall and I just prayed for awakening. And I was just feeling like the Lord is going to move and God wants to do something new in America and in my life. Man, spiritual awakening, if, it, if there was just a little sign that said revival, let's pray for revival. But something about that, as I placed my hands on that, on that piece of paper, I said, Lord, do a spiritual awakening in me, in true grace, in Olympia, and in America. And it was very real, and it was very powerful. And I think there are forces at work that are trying to divide and conquer, not just America, but the church. And I just said, Lord, do a spiritual awakening. And I mean, it was powerful. And maybe you were here and you got to pray here and you got to sense that power. But I want to just ask you, just point blank, just ask you, will you pray for spiritual awakening with me? Really? Like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, we should pray. That's not what we're talking about. Like, pray that the light floods through the darkness. Pray for that. I've never been in my life, been in a time where, like, whatever media source that comes in, I probably don't believe it. I mean, literally, it's just like everything comes with spin on it. And it's like, Lord, is there still truth in the world? And man, we're going to preach the Bible and the truth in this church. So pray with me for spiritual awakening. It was a powerful moment in my life. I went home and told our, our life group about it. And I'm praying for that for you, for this area, for our country as well, right? If you have a Bible today, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. And last week we talked about recalibrate your soul to recenter, refocus, reset your, your life, um, your soul. And this week we're talking about recalibrate your relationships. Do you have a relationship that needs a fresh start? Uh, that's struggling a little bit, that could be a lot better. Maybe you have a relationship that is severed. And um, as the Bible says, you do whatever was in your power to do. And sometimes there's no more you can do, right? And so some of us might need to go, I've done everything in my power to do, and now I'm just going to pray. Sometimes we have to say, Lord, is there something that I can do that I'm not doing? And I can't see clearly for that, so I have to go to someone like my wife or somebody else and say, here's the situation. Tell me if I'm seeing this correctly. Do you have people like that in your life? 
tell me if I'm seeing this correctly, because I feel like I've done everything I can do, but if there's something more I should do, I want to know. Um, so I can do something about it. So relationships, of course, that romantic relationship, that friend relationship, family relationships, because relationships are hard. Relationships are hard. There's miscommunications. Uh, there's misunderstandings. There's hurt feelings that happen in relationships. And so today is a great day to just kind of stop and say, Lord, in my relationships, what changes should I make? And maybe if you're really listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit today, maybe God will just give you like an insight into a relationship that could be massively improved um, if you hear the voice of God today. Um, I want to remind you of this. No relationship is more important than your relationship with God. Not even close. Um, the Bible says this in 1 John 5, 21. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place uh, in your hearts. There's supposed to be another line there, in your hearts. Um, uh, keep away from anything that would take God's place in your life. Isn't that true that good things can take the place of God in our lives? Like good people, like people like, you know, they worship their spouse or the, their, their kids or there's a, a spiritual mentor in their life and they think that that person's God. Nothing can take God's place in your life. No human. So don't get distracted from the mission that God gave you um, because even good things can be distractions and good people, and indeed they often are. So we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 1 is not going to be on the screen. By the way, the team had to retype all of my slides this morning. So if there's any of them that are up here that are wrong, uh, it's just not their fault. They had to cram and get it done, all right? Um, and it's not my fault either, by the way. I'm a good speller. Just, just want to make sure you know that. So Ephesians 4, chapter 1. Now, Paul's writing this book to the church in Ephesus. And he says these words. And this is not going to be on the screen. So listen to these words. Paul says, therefore, which you always ask the question, what is therefore, therefore? So we're going to go back. But he says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord. I don't usually call myself that. A prisoner for serving the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, uh, for you have been called by God. So literally says, therefore, uh, because of this, because of what we know as, as from chapters one through three in this book, because you are the church, because you are equally part of the church as your Jewish brothers, and because you represent Christ, I beg you to lead this kind of life, Paul says. Lead a life worthy of being called a Christ follower. Lead a, 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 the kind of life that matches your profession of faith. And what's interesting is Paul calls himself a prisoner, and he actually is a prisoner for the gospel. And sometimes he calls himself a slave for the Lord, a servant for the Lord. Uh, these are strong words for someone to use. And they've taken on a very different tone in our culture today. But, but Paul, listen, he clearly felt this. He believed this. The only way to follow the Lord is to die to yourself. And sometimes like, I want to follow the Lord and not die to myself. And it doesn't work really well. In fact, it doesn't work at all. You have to actually die to yourself and say, I'm not the king of my life. I'm not the queen of my life. I don't know all things. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. Like, I know I'm a sinner. So I'm going to die to myself and I'm going to live a different kind of life. I'm going to repent of my sins and I'm going to live for the Lord. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm trying to live for God, but you haven't died to yourself. Or maybe you died to yourself to live for the Lord, but your old self kind of got back up out of the grave and decided to have its way again. Paul decided the only way to really follow the Lord is to die to yourself. It just doesn't work any other way. So Paul made Jesus Lord of his life. 
And it's one thing if Jesus is someone you believe in or if you believe in God, even if you believe that Jesus is the son of God. But if you make Jesus Lord of your life, now that's something altogether different. That's dying to yourself and living differently. And if somebody knew you before you were living for the Lord, there should be a marked difference about you. I was a nice person, now I'm a little nicer. No, when you die to yourself, you're a different person because you're not living the same way anymore. To fully follow Jesus means giving up. And for Paul, it meant giving up what others perceived to be his rights. It's fascinating because people today clamor for their rights and people are offended at any perceived hint of unfairness, especially in our country. But Paul would be very perplexed by this. Paul was very different. He gave up his rights. He traded away his earthly privilege for heavenly freedom and he did it gladly. Crazy guy. He was too busy honoring God with his life. He didn't have time to demand better treatment and respect from others. He had a mission to bring the gospel of Jesus to the world. He didn't tell his captors, you know, how bad he was treated. He tried to tell them about the Lord. Man, he just had different motivations. Why? Because he died to himself. Imagine if Paul had spent his days complaining about his needs not being met. Imagine if he ranted about being deprived. What if his wants were more important than living out the mission of God? It's actually not a far stretch to surmise that you and I might not even know everything that Jesus has done for us without the Apostle Paul laying down his rights and going through everything he went through that we might know the Lord better. Listen, Paul was never accepted by the people of his day. Like If people in that day would have thought... The Apostle Paul would be well-known around the world today. They'd be shocked. He was never accepted by the people of his day. He was more concerned with being found acceptable by God. He laid down his rights. He laid down his privileges, even his freedoms. And we need to hear this. He called himself prisoner, slave, servant of God. Those were titles he gave himself. And Jesus said, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Maybe today the greatest thing you could do is just stop and say, Lord, I'm dying to myself. I don't have to have, and I don't deserve, and I'm not going to be wanting and wanting and wanting. I'm going to be content. I'm going to be a servant of the living God, no matter what happens. Wow, that's who the Apostle Paul was. If he was trying to hang on to his life, he would have never traveled to Eurasia. He would have never drug himself back into a city where he had just been beaten up. He would have never had, uh, said goodbye to his friends and traveled to foreign lands and cultures to share the gospel. He wouldn't have done that, but he died to himself so he could. He would have never been shipwrecked, stoned, whipped, or, martyrs, or martyred. But listen, he gave up his life for Jesus and thus saved it. Jesus saved his soul. That's all verse 1. We haven't even got to the actual slides. But just think about what the Apostle Paul did when he died to himself. And I don't know about you, but in the world today, sometimes I just like, I need this. I want that. I have to do that. This is making me frustrated. And for someone to say, I'm a servant of the Lord. Um, you know, let the chips fall where they may, but I'm dying to myself. I'm living for the Lord. It's a different, a different understanding, and I hope to be more like him. Wow. Um, listen, uh, just to remind you uh, of this. Um, sometimes we place so much weight on our needs or our wants or our things, and we can forget that, honestly, where we're living, it was never meant to be heaven. Like, heaven is not a place on earth. I understand the song. But really, heaven is not supposed to be on earth. Uh, there will never be heaven on earth because heaven isn't heaven. 
and it was not meant to be. Um, so listen, help others, take a stand where you can for what is right, but don't cling to this life because the real life, the real life is yet to come. And someday we'll look back and we'll laugh about this life and, and all the things we thought were so important and realize, wow, this is what really matters. Let's live our lives with eternity in mind in every decision we make. All right, verse two, finally get to the second verse. So Paul says this, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Here we go, humble, gentle, and patient. Those three words to describe Pastor Dave, all right? Um, with each other, his wife's hip punching him in the side right now. Uh, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. This verse is packed with an awful lot as well. I mean, really, there, there's honestly four uh, character traits to live out, these four graces, if you will, uh, that should be found in your life if you follow Jesus. Four qualities necessary for good relationships with others in the Christian community and, be, and beyond as well. So the Apostle Paul says to the church, people trying to follow Jesus, he says, listen, always be humble. He uses this word five times in his writings. It's only used once, uh, one other time, in the rest of the entire New Testament. So Paul preaches humility. What's interesting is Paul had all this knowledge. Paul had all these accolades. And, and Paul was the one saying, let's be humble. Be humble yourself. In the classic Greek, it was a derogatory term. It, it suggested uh, low-mindedness, groveling, servility. And that day, you know, he didn't want to go around saying, I'm humble. Um, Maybe they'd say his mind is humble or his skills are humble or, or, or she comes from a humble background. It wasn't necessarily a positive thing. But this adjective was redeemed by the gospel to represent a Christ-like virtue in comparison with the high-mindedness of unbelievers and those in power. Jesus humbled himself. He allowed himself to be tortured to death. Um, you can't even talk about being Christ-like without addressing your own humility. If you're going to be like Jesus, there's going to have to be some humility in you. So Paul writes to his friends in the church of Ephesus, and he says, live a life worthy of your calling. Be humble, people. You want oneness? You want unity? Be humble. It's not weak to be humble. It's powerful to choose humility in your life. Do you realize that if everyone in your house walked in humility, there would be little to no fighting? Wow. I don't know how the Ephesian church responded, but we, we all know that if people in the church all accepted the challenge of humility, if they didn't care who got the credit for anything, um, if they didn't value their own view or their preference over others, if they chose the smallest piece of bread so others could have more, man, it would be an amazing church to be a part of, wouldn't it? Be humble. Paul says, always be humble. And with that, he says, be gentle. Let's go ahead and throw the scripture back up here. So he says, always be humble and gentle. Be gentle as well. Always be humble and gentle. The word gentle means to be considerate and kind. It has an element of restraint to it. Um, to, to be gentle is not to be weak. I liken it to this. If you're playing Red Rover, do you remember the game Red Rover? This is my, my Sunday just to be an old guy, all right? So back in the old days before, like, teachers, you know, didn't realize that kids get hurt all the time, you know, kids would, like, you know, hold hands with other kids, and they'd say, Red Rover, Red Rover, said Johnny right over. But, you know, if Johnny was a big, strong kid, they wouldn't say Johnny. They would say little Sammy, who weighs, like, 40 pounds, right? Because the other team would, they would, you know, let go of their hands, and they would run as hard as they could, and they would try to break through your hands. And you would try to clothesline them, because that's how kids should play on the playground, right? they try to break through your wrists, you know, and you would try to hold your arms up so they couldn't break through, and if they didn't break it, they were on your team now. 
Um, but man, if you called the wrong name and that kid came over like 100 miles an hour and he was the biggest kid, right before they got your hands, you know what happened? Everybody let go. Like, I would rather not lose my arm and, and let Johnny take one of our kids back to his team. You know, that was just how it was. Well, imagine you're playing that game, Red Rover. Um, imagine playing it with like a three-year-old versus playing it with like an 18-year-old football player. It's a different deal. If a two-year-old comes over or a three-year-old comes over, man, it's not even a thought. You pretend like they almost broke it, and then you just take them for your team. They don't have the power to hurt you. But, man, if that 18-year-old runs through your arm at full speed, it can cause some serious damage. You want to represent Jesus? Be gentle. Be considerate. Show some restraint. Don't look to hurt people. Look to help people in your life. There are people, listen, there are people in your life right now, and they need gentleness from you. They need kindness from you. If you're a dentist, this is true all the time, but for all of us, right? There's people in your life who need gentleness from you. Always be humble and gentle, Paul says. If you're going to be the church, be humble, be gentle. And then he follows it up with be patient with each other. In the scripture, patience is often a reluctance to avenge the wrong done to you. A reluctance to avenge the wrong done to you. To be patient sometimes means to, holding, to, be hold, to hold steadfast in times of suffering. A man unjustly in prison, writing his letter, this letter says that. Unjustly prison, uh, imprisoned, and yet he says, be patient with each other. Hold steadfast in times of suffering. Be patient during that pandemic. Be patient with each other when your spirit is angst and, and angry and frustrated. Let me ask you this question. Do you need to hold steadfast in a time of suffering in your life? That's what Paul's talking about. Are you aware that this is also patience? Being Holding steadfast in suffering is also patience. Your patience or lack of patience, it's on display for everyone to see. I would love to just drag a bunch of four-year-olds here and say, who's patient? Well, not my mom, right? <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Um, it's, it's amazing that kids are watching you and they're learning what patience is from you. Not just the kids in your, your home, but when kids are, are gathered with other families and people from their church, they're learning what patience is really about. Patience is a characteristic of God, so be like God. Be patient with others. Um, by the way, I think the Lord is patient with you. Just a little. So Paul elaborates on patience Inequality that is a close cousin of it as well. He gets to this fourth one in, the, in this verse too. And Paul says, make allowance for each other's faults. Make allowances for each other's faults. I remember the first time I, I heard a store say, hey, we have to um, actually like budget in uh, theft as part of our budget because it's going to happen. And I remember thinking, how sad is that that a store in Olympia, Washington says, well, we're budgeting in X, like a 3% loss because there's going to be theft in our store. It's just the way it is. It's the cost of doing business in the world. And I remember thinking, wow. But the reality is, um, we understand this, that we have to make allowance for each other's faults because we know there's going to be some missteps along the way, isn't there? And it just go into ahead of time. There's going to be some waste in life. I don't like it, but I'm going to deal with it. There's going to be some hardships in life. I don't like it, but I'm going to deal with it. Other people are going to mess up. So we have to make allowances for each other's faults. The word for this is forbearance. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. 
I forgive your fault because of my love for you. When a family is, is like that, when a church is like that, it's incredible. To be a member of God's family, you're going to have to put up with other people's faults and idiosyncrasies. Do you know that? Like, people don't go to church and go, now we're all perfect, and now we all like the same kind of music, at the same kind of volume, at the same time of day, right? You have to uh, make allowances for each other's faults. And it'd be far easier to join a long list of people who have given up on uh, being part of a local church. It really would. It'd be easy to give up on church. Um, people are difficult. People are annoying. Pastors love to say ministry would be great if it wasn't for all the people, right? Because there's just problems. Wherever there's people, there's problems. But Jesus has made allowance for your faults. And if Jesus makes an allowance for your faults and he's patient with you as you grow, then maybe we need to turn around and be merciful and make an allowance for the faults of others in our lives. I'm grateful uh, to live in a church, to be a part of a family where people understand. Sometimes dad's just in a bad mood. Let it go. He's going to be okay. Uh, just forgive the way that he spoke. He's just stressed out right now. Make allowances for each other's faults. Be like Jesus. Don't quit. Love people even with their faults. I think about my list of faults. I'm like, Jesus, you forgive a lot. You put up with a lot. And that's just me. I mean, True Grace Church, they're even worse than I am. So, I mean... Not as many laughing. Maybe you online laughed about that. I don't know. Be like Christ. The absence of these four qualities in your life, it jeopardizes your chances at unity. And Paul wants to talk about unity in Ephesians chapter 4. He says in the next verse, verse 3, Make every effort to keep yourselves unified or united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Be united in spirit, binding yourself together in, with peace. I love to say it all the time because I believe that it's true. Unity doesn't happen by accident. Unity doesn't happen by accident. All it takes is two people to have an argument. Sometimes just me in the mirror and we're fighting over something, right? It's easy to have a disagreement. Unity doesn't happen by accident. Sometimes I have to stop and say, fight for unity. Don't believe the worst in someone. Hope for the best. Pray for the best. I love this statement, and I believe it's true. It goes on our reader board every so often. It probably needs to go on there right now. Good friends can disagree and still be good friends. And if you can't disagree and still be good friends, you're either immature or you're really not good friends. Right? Good friends can disagree and still be good friends. Our society has forgotten this. You're either with me or you're against me. I mean, what, what's happened? Unless I agree with you 100%, I'm not going to associate with you anymore. And, and there's a, a lack of maturity in humanity right now. So let me ask the question, are you able to disagree with someone and remain good friends with them? Sometimes I'm like, man, I totally think you're wrong. I think you're on crack with that theology, but let's go have some lunch together, right? And I tell people sometimes, like, like I have friends that uh, don't believe at all the Bible, don't believe in Jesus, don't, they're not part of the church. And I just tell them, like, you know what, I'll just be your crazy religious friends, because I don't even really like the word religion, but I know for them that's what I look like. I'm like, everybody needs like a crazy religious friend. I'll be yours. And sometimes those people come to me and they go, hey, um, something happened, or I got a question. And you're kind of my Jesus friend. So can I ask you a question, how this works? Sometimes people need to have a friend that's different than them. That they might be able to inquire about something, and maybe God can use that relationship. Um, we need to have friends that... Don't, don't believe everything we believe. All of us do. Become excellent at being honest and kind and respectful at disagreements. Uh, um, I like Rick Warren's quote so well. 
Uh, I think I'm going to put it on the screen, and if you want to look this up online, you can just put uh, Rick Warren, and you can put two lies, because Rick Warren has this great quote. He says, listen, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, um, you agree with everything they believe or do. Um, Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. Uh, I should say the first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. Listen, just disagree with someone doesn't mean that you hate them. Amen? I mean, we're so quick to just throw that out there. And it's like, I just disagree with you doesn't mean I hate you. You don't have to hate people that you disagree with. Um, Listen, if you can't be friends with someone you disagree with, you're not going to have many friends in life. You won't be able to do business with anybody. And you certainly have a hard time being part of a local church where everybody's got struggles and faults and issues in their life, things in their past they're working through. So how does a church bind together in peace? It's full of people who are willing to make every effort to be unified in the spirit, united in the spirit, to bind together with peace. So exert, Paul says, listen, exert all your powers, all your patience to maintain oneness because unity is work. And it's difficult, but it can happen in your life. By the way, I always say this, the best time to fight for unity is not when you're ticked off. The best time to decide that you're going to have a healthy a communication in your marriage is not when you're really mad. It's when you're looking good and smelling nice. And you're being nice to each other and you're trying to meet each other's needs. That's the best time to commit to unity because you know times won't always be like that. So we've made a commitment to fight for unity in our relationships. And we're making this commitment now because we know we're going to need it as the days go by. So I want to encourage you to say something like this in your life. Dear rest of the church... I'm just one member of the church, but dear rest of the church, I love you for better, for worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, even if you like country music, and you're too into the NFL, and you don't wear a mask when I think you should, and on and on and on the list goes, right? Wow. Love people like Jesus does. So Paul talks, church, be unified, fight for unity, let go of little things that don't matter, set your mind on things above uh, in your life. And he gets to these last part. I'm going to jump forward to verse 25. And Paul gives some very clear descriptions that are going to help us with our relationships. He says this, verse 25, so stop telling lies. But since I'm in church, I'm going to say it so you hear it. Stop saying things that are 98% true. Because you don't lie. You just say things that are 98% true sometimes. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, Paul says, for we all are parts of the same body. Honesty, honesty, and honesty. Don't you respect honest people? Um, when somebody comes to you, like we, my wife and I had a, a waitress recently, and she just came and she, and she comes to the table and she's got all of our food, but she forgot to bring out the salads. She comes to our table and she goes, I'm sorry you're eating the salads with all the foods. I just totally blanked and forgot. And she walked away and I was like, that's so much better than just kind of hoping we didn't notice. Like, literally, I mean, don't you kind of hope that nobody notices? And she just goes, I, it's my fault. And I, she walked away. I was like, man, I just want to, like, give her a better tip because I so appreciate honesty in our world. Just like I made a mistake. It's okay for you to make mistakes, and you, it's okay to own up to them. Actually, people might respect you more if you do. Honesty. People love it. Um, verse 26, and don't sin by letting your anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Don't let those thoughts of anger, those fat and those fantasies just kind of go in your mind. I should have said, I would have said, I'm so mad, I can't believe. And just dwell on that for hours and hours and hours. Don't sin by letting your anger control you. Sometimes you just have to stop and say, Lord, I'm about ready to go to a really bad place. 
So Lord, I just want to forgive and I want to work through this, but I don't want to let this situation become so much worse than it already is. Don't let anger control you. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Sometimes you have to talk things out that evening. Sometimes it's one o'clock in the morning. You have the wisdom to say, we're going to talk tomorrow about this. Because if we keep talking, it's going to get bad, right? And I love the next verse. Don't let sin control you for uh, your anger control you. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Man, isn't that true? Anger gives a foothold to the devil. Think about the times that you sin the easiest. It's when you're usually really angry. And you say things you shouldn't say, and you do things you shouldn't do, and you think things that you're embarrassed or ashamed about. Anger gives the devil a foothold. Now, it's okay to be angry, but to dwell on those anger thoughts, to, to, to let them just explore your mind. Anger gives a foothold to the devil. And if you give the devil a foothold and a foothold and a foothold and a foothold, soon the devil has a stronghold in your life. And you're like, why am, why am I constantly swearing? Why am I full of anger? Why can I not drive from my house to church without really losing control of my temper? Because a foothold, a foothold, a foothold of anger, and all of a sudden there's a stronghold. And some of us, the greatest thing we could do today is just say, Lord, I am way too easily angered. I have some footholds that the devil has in my life, and I have to remove those so he can't get traction in my life. Anger. Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Just in case I forgot when he says, and even all types of evil behavior. But I love that he gets specific. Get rid of that bitterness. It'll harm you more than it'll harm the other person. Man, my story today was all about that. Don't let bitterness be in your heart. Get rid of rage. Get rid of anger. Don't let those things fester. Don't use harsh words. Don't slander other people. Come on, some of you like to get together with your best friend and just talk about others. Anybody else? Besides my wife and Pastor Dave? <laughs> Some of you got a best friend. You're like, man, what were they thinking? They're an idiot. And you just start having fun with that, don't you? Well, let's pray for so-and-so because you know what she did. I'm not sure if that's a prayer request or gossip, but it's dangerously close. Don't slander. Um, don't use harsh words. Paul says, be wise about that. Instead, he says, be kind to each other, be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Listen, someone's going to come to you in the near future, and they're going to make a mistake, and they're going to expect you to go off on them, and they're going to be surprised when the love of God comes out from you on them. Because you walk with Jesus, and it doesn't mean you don't get angry, but it does mean you hang, handle that an anger differently than an unbeliever in the world. Be kind. No one likes a bully. Be merciful, for God is merciful to you. Come on, before you jump all over somebody, think of all the things that God could jump all over you for and go, uh, I'm gonna choose mercy. Forgive others like God forgives you without rubbing your nose in it, and so you're not gonna do that either. And I love this statement because I think it's really, really important. Um, in, in this world, there, there are people looking for a fight. There's people looking for an argument. And I wanna remind you of this. You don't have to attend every argument you're invited to. And you're invited to a lot. Sometimes you have to say to yourself, this conversation would probably be circular and, and not worth my time. Have you ever been there? Sometimes you need to stand up and you need to debate and you need to talk and you need to get things out and speak truth. But many, many, many times um, you have to stop and realize, is this worth having this argument? You don't have to attend every argument you're invited to. In fact, if you attend every argument you're invited to, you miss the three that are really important that you do stand up and argue for. So don't let the world, don't let others trap you in an argument that is fruitless. 
And I want to remind you of this in your relationships. Man, it is so important to stretch yourself. Some of us were like, I would talk to that person, but it's uncomfortable. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. I don't want to be that honest. I want to be that real. I'm not sure I want to be trapped in that room because how will I get out easily? It's going to just... All those things. Listen, let me tell you two quick stories. One time um, I was dropping off uh, my kids for kids ministry. And, I, and it was like a Wednesday night and I have a life group in my house on Wednesday nights. So we dropped off the kids in the youth kids ministry and I walked up like the, the, to the parking lot and I got to the parking lot and it's like five minutes to seven and there was a couple standing there next to their van. And I'd seen them around church a little bit. So I just kind of like, huh. And I walked over this couple and I said, I, I never do this because I'm very protective because my life is crazy, but I did this couple I didn't know very well, and I said, would you guys like to follow me to my house? And they're like, okay. <laughs> and I said, you know, honestly, we have some room in our life group, and I know it's kind of weird, like it's going to start in four minutes, but would you like to join my life group just tonight and just see what happens? That couple came to our life group and was there for like four or five years and became super friends. And a military family, so they moved across the country, but to this day, we're staying in contact if there's a heart-wrenching thing going on with their kids, they know they can count on us, the other eight or ten people in that group, to pray for them and care for them. I mean, it's an absolute beautiful thing. And if you don't stretch yourself to get to know some other people, if you don't take some chances in relationships, you're not going to have those kind of things. I know sometimes you got burned by people, but don't let that stop you from making new friendships and being deep and open with people. The other thing I remember in stretching myself is You'd probably be surprised, but for me to jump on a, a bus and jump on an airplane with people and go on a mission trip is kind of frightening. You know, how many like your own bed? You like your own food? You got your routine, your people, and when I mean, you go on a mission trip, it's like, this is crazy. And I remember in 2013, that trip particularly, I got on a bus and I was like, God, I'm worn out. It's not good to go on a mission trip already worn out. And I said, God, there's a bunch of weird people on this bus. I, I guess they all go to True Grace. <laughs> And, um, and we got on an airplane, and we went to South America, and he built a church and talked to people all across the city and just outside of Lima, Peru. And, and we really bonded on that trip because when you're in a situation like that, you kind of get close to people fast. And I remember thinking, you know, these, every time I get a chance to go on a mission trip, it stretches me to trust God that my back's going to be okay on that cheap hotel bed. And I'm going to be on that airplane. I'm going to be with some people I don't know, but they might know me. But every time I stretch myself in that way, even if the relationships aren't great, it honors God and it's good for my soul that I don't isolate and stay safe in my relationships. In the middle of a pandemic when we're already isolated, it is a very difficult time for you to make new friendships, go deeper with others, but it's worth it. If we have two years or whatever it's going to be of people just kind of holding up inside and not making new friendships, it's not going to be healthy for our souls. We've got to have some new relationships, some new friendships. We've got to be touching the world. We've got to be stretching ourselves and ministering and getting to know others. Amen? So don't just play it safe. Trust somebody. Get to know someone. Minister to someone and let them minister to you. I'm going to ask if we could just bow our heads for a moment. Maybe you don't have a lot of good friends right now. Maybe you feel isolated. Or maybe you're here watching online and you have a rough relationship right now and it really needs help. 
Maybe it's worse than that. Maybe you have a toxic relationship. And it's an emergency. We need God's help. I need the Lord's help to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient with others, to make allowances for others' faults. And I need God's help to stretch myself to form new and healthier relationships in my life. Lord, there are some here today, and today is a, a spiritual awakening in the relationships with people that matter so greatly to the condition of our souls. Lord, no one can take your place in our lives, but we need good people around us, in us. We need your church. Lord, I pray today specifically for those of us that are here and you're just saying so clearly, make an allowance for your kids' faults. Make an allowance for the faults of people that also follow Jesus. Because you, you are merciful with our faults. Lord, help us to be humble and gentle. Lord, I pray that we would not be quick to anger. And Lord, honestly, there's some people right now that are just saying, anger has gotten a foothold in my life and I don't like it. And I want to change. Lord, would you just show us at least one area today that we could forgive, release, let go, and let you be our the one who leads for us. Lord, I pray for your church that we would have your unity. And I pray, God, that your church would model what it is to disagree and still be friends. Pray, God, that we would have that understanding how important it is to be honest and genuine, even if it leads to an awkward moment, that people admire conviction And it's our conviction to tell the 100% truth. Lord, help us to be those kind of people. Lord, especially with COVID-19, especially in election season, Lord, show us where our words can be helpful and give us the wisdom to know when not to speak when not to show up for a useless argument. God, I pray, Lord, that our words will be chosen well, be articulate, be helpful, and be filled not just with human truth, but filled with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that they might land and produce fruit and blessing in others. Lord, do a spiritual awakening in our world, and God, do that spiritual awakening inside of me. And listen, as you take this last minute just to think about this message, is there a takeaway that the Lord has for you today? Is there a person you're going to make allowance for? Are you going to pray for spiritual awakening? Have you been mostly honest? Are you knocking off some footholds of anger in your life? Would you just recognize that one thing, that one takeaway that God might be whispering to you?
wherever you are. Lord, we can't, we're not God and we're very limited, but we can hear your voice. And God, we wanna be close to you. So Lord, if it's one thing or two or three, and I pray that each one of us with just one area of my life that I'm gonna to respond to today because I was in a time with you where your word was spoken and your Holy Spirit used it to talk to me. And so Lord, we run with this and we will be called to action to make a change. Lord, help our relationships fully honor you in every way. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You know, some people are watching this gathering in the afternoon or in the evening or later during the week. But I got to tell you, if you can uh, start your day with the presence of God, and if you can start your day in God's word, the whole rest of the day goes better. Amen. And so I hope today, if you are watching in the morning, that you just grow in God and you have the presence of God about you all day long. All right. God bless you. Thanks for being in church.